God designed us for life, an abundant life with him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists. Well, good morning, Cross United. So glad you've joined us for this message this morning. We're going to be in John 10, verses 1 through 6. In 2016, there was a woman in West Palm Beach who was experiencing stomach pain. And so she did what most of us would do in a situation like that. She found the number for a local doctor's office, called the number, called the office, made an appointment, and visited the doctor. In the exam room, the doctor came in and introduced himself, said his name was Dr. Love, and she told him about what was going on, and he diagnosed her stomach pain and made a prescription. She paid for the medical care she received, and ultimately to the tune of about $35,000. Sometime after that, Dr. Love had another patient, but this patient was a different patient because this patient wasn't actually a real patient at all, which made sense because Dr. Love wasn't actually a doctor either. This patient, patient was a law enforcement officer who was undercover, and Dr. Love was actually a 18-year-old young man named Malachi, who was impersonating a doctor and had opened up an office in West Palm Beach and had defrauded people like this woman of thousands and thousands of dollars. I wonder if young Malachi's patients were ever suspicious. Clearly they were because there were reports and an undercover operation to uncover his deception. Uh, eventually the illegitimacy of his role was evident and his fraud was uncovered and the scheme was exposed for what it was. Obviously, this, is, this matters because when you seek medical care, you want to receive care from someone who is approved and legitimate and prepared and trained for the care that they're giving you. How much more so then should we be careful to seek care for our souls from legitimate sources? Now, often we're very careful with our bodies and often very careless with our souls. The, the reality, though, is that the world we live in is full of people and voices that are trying to care for our souls, trying to shape our minds and our hearts. And there are people impersonating spiritual physicians who are administering dangerous diagnosis to, and prescriptions and care for the souls of people in the world. And whether we realize it or not, your social media feed, our, our cable news shows, our Netflix recommendations, they're all trying to give us spiritual nourishment. They're all trying to provide soul care. And Jesus is concerned about this. We should be concerned about this. 
And what Jesus wants for us this morning is he wants us to learn to hear his voice over and against these false voices competing for our attention. Jesus wants us to learn to discern the difference between an imposter and a pastor. To learn to discern the difference between a stranger and a shepherd. To learn to discern the voice of the world from the voice of the word. Here in John 10, we see Jesus uh, entering into this discussion right on the heels of John 9. It's important to know what happened in John 9 for this passage to really make sense. In John 9, there's this man who was born blind and has been at the foot of others for, for decades of his life as they pass him by, maybe throw him a coin or two uh, for, for his pain and his suffering. And Jesus sees this man and he heals this man. And the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Israel, they, they, they hear what Jesus has done and they aren't rejoicing their outrage. They're not thrilled and amazed. They're just absolutely enraged at Jesus doing this. And they, they do everything they can to discredit this man instead of rejoicing that he's been healed and to discredit Jesus who healed him. And they should have known better. They should have known better because for hundreds of years, they had been hearing the word of God in what we call the Old Testament. And for example, Ezekiel 34 and how God has called his His leaders and, and his, his shepherds to, to care for the people. So, so Ezekiel 34, 1 through 4, and really the whole chapter, Ezekiel 34, talks about this. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, you wear the wool and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. This encapsulates the way these Pharisees, these religious leaders had responded to this man who had been born blind and had been healed. They were more concerned about their own position than they were about this man's. They were more concerned about discrediting Jesus than truly believing in what he had done and who he was. And in light of this, Jesus explains the nature of imposters versus pastors or strangers versus shepherds or the voice of the world or the voice of religion and the voice of the word. John 10, 1 through 5. Truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and his sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. And then in verse 6, it says, Jesus gave this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I want to look at eight characteristics of the true shepherd. And then I want to look at eight questions to discern the stranger. 
I want us to learn to discern the difference between an imposter and a pastor, between a stranger and a shepherd, between the voice of the world and the voice of the word. Here's the first characteristic of the true shepherd. The shepherd is humble. Look at verse 1. It says, anyone who doesn't enter by the sheep pen but climbs in another way is a thief and a robber. Uh, Throughout the history of the church, this has been uh, interpreted as a sign of spiritual pride. Uh, Unlike Jesus, who comes through the way of humility, God the Son, the eternal Son, eternally begotten of the Father, the, the second person of the Trinity, comes and becomes a human being and empties himself by taking on human nature, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, and to subtract by addition, who didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God, but but emptied himself and, and humbled himself so that he could become our perfect Savior and live a sinless life and die a sinner's death and be buried and raised from the dead. Unlike the way of Jesus, who we're going to see later in the passage in the next few weeks, is the gate and the shepherd both at the same time. These thieves and robbers, they they come in another way. Augustine said, He is a lowly door, Christ the Lord. The man who enters through this door must lower himself, that he may ever enter with an unharmed head. So this picture, like, you know, it, like I don't know if you've seen the Lord of the Rings where Gandalf has to duck into the, the small door of the, the, the hobbit's house and, and you got to duck in, otherwise you'll hit your head. He's saying the way of Jesus is like this, that, that we have to duck low to enter this way and, and that someone who doesn't do that, who's, who's climbing in another way is doing it because they're exalting themselves by climbing over the wall. Aquinas, 800 years later, said, Evil shepherds do not enter by the door, but by ambition and secular power and simony or pain for the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, They don't enter by the door. Such a person climbs in by another way because the door, namely Christ, is small through humility. And then he quotes Matthew eleven twenty nine: Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. This, this way can enter be entered only by those who imitate the humility of Christ. Therefore, those who do not enter by the door but climb in by another way are the proud. They do not imitate him who, although he was God, became man and don't recognize his lowering of himself. And we see here that that Jesus is supremely confident, but he isn't arrogant. That there's there's a universe of difference between confidence and conviction and arrogance and pride. So these leaders, they're proud. They're they're seeking their own glory. Notice there that Thomas Aquinas quotes the title verse of the book we're reading for our summer book club, Gentle and Lowly. Jesus is gentle and lowly. He's humble. He's a humble shepherd. That's the first thing. The second thing, the shepherd gives. Truly, I tell you, anyone doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. Strangers come to steal and kill and destroy. We're going to see that in John 10.10. 10. Maybe on TV or online asking for money or thinking about ministry as a means of living a financially prosperous and abundant life. They seek to use people to build ministries rather than ministries to build people. They see people as a means to an end rather than an end in themselves for the glory of God. The good shepherd, though, he gives. He gives his life. He gives so that the sheep may have life. 
That's the, the, the second thing. The third thing we see, the shepherd enters. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He enters by the gate, and the gatekeeper opens it for him. I think the best explanation of the gatekeeper was given by Augustine, and that is the gatekeeper is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who came upon Jesus and empowered him for ministry and his baptism. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus and convicts us of sin, and the only solution for sin is Jesus Christ. So much false or unbalanced teaching elevates the gatekeeper over the gate elevates the spirit over the shepherd. But the the mystery of the Trinity is that the three persons of the Trinity are equally God, though they are distinct persons. Jesus, the son in his last night on earth, told the disciples about the spirit in John 14 through 16. It says, the counselor will be with you. He will be sent in my name and will teach you all things and remind you everything I've told you. He will be sent from the father and he will testify about me. He said, Jesus said, it's to your benefit that I go away because if I don't, the counselor will not come to you. In Acts 1.8, he says after the resurrection that the Holy Spirit would fill them with power for life and ministry to testify of Jesus. So much false or imbalanced teaching elevates the spirit over Christ. And then in response, what happens is that people say, well, that's, that's, wrong and so they elevate Christ over the spirit to the point where you don't even know the holy spirit is a person of the trinity at times but as the early church theologian Irenaeus taught us god the father always works in the world through what he called his two hands the son and the spirit the son and the spirit work together you need them both they are equally god christian faith without the son or the spirit is like an airplane with only one wing you need both to fly the flight of faith. The gatekeeper has to open the gate. The Spirit has to reveal Christ to us and to glorify Christ in our hearts as the one who saves and calls the sheep. That's the fourth thing we see. The shepherd calls in verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. We are the people of the voice people of the word, because we're people who listen for the shepherd's song, and he he calls us. We listen to the person of Christ, the word incarnate through the written word, the scripture. His sheep will hear his voice. John 6, 37 says, Jesus says, all that the father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Romans 10.20 quotes Isaiah 65.21 and says, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. This is our solid hope in our ministry and in this season that God has people for himself who he will call to himself through our ministry. Romans 11.4 says that he has left 7,000 for himself who have not bowed down to Baal. The shepherd Fifthly, knows. He calls his own sheep by name. He calls each one of us individually by name. He has known us and chosen us from the foundation, before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.4 He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love 
before him. Now, Joseph Stalin was quoted as saying in the 1940s that a single death is a tragedy. A million deaths is a statistic. There's something in the, in the limitation of the human brain that makes it possible to grieve over one, but to, to ignore thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. I have a friend whose brother early on in the, in the pandemic died of COVID-19 and it hit me really hard because his brother was the same age as I am. And I grieved over that. But then I look at the statistics and it's a thousand people dying yesterday and 150,000 in the U.S. and almost a million worldwide. And those numbers can just become a blur rather than individuals. And because our minds work that way, we think that Jesus' mind works that way. But Jesus is different than us. Jesus is not limited by his capacity for compassion and calling and knowing and loving so many, many people. He can hold in his infinite and perfect knowledge every single one of his sheep by name. And if you are his, he knows you. He knows your name. He has called you. He has loved you. He knows every detail about you. You are his. You're not a statistic to him. He calls you by name. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. This is what the Lord says, who created you. And formed you, Israel, O Jacob. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Sixth, the shepherd sanctifies. When he's brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. When he's brought them out. This is a a picture of sanctification. The word here for brought out is actually the same word used just a few verses before in John 34, 9, 34, and 35, when it says that the Pharisees cast him out and Jesus heard they had thrown the man out. Here it's used for excommunication. There it's used for excommunication, but here in chapter 10, it's used for sanctification. It shows that somehow in his mysterious providence, God uses the way we're rejected in life in the world to make us more like he wants us to be. The way the patriarchs, I've been reading through Genesis, deceived and manipulated, and yet God got his work done through them. Genesis 50, 20 summarizes this, that says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. If you're feeling cast out, wait for Jesus. He very likely has you exactly where he wants you. He drives the sheep out of the comfort of the fold because he's calling us to sanctification and he's sending us on mission. That's the seventh thing. The shepherd sends. When he's brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. At the end of the Gospel of John, after Jesus has been crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, he commissions the disciples. He bestows upon them an initial impartation of the Holy Spirit. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. I already mentioned Acts 1.8 where it says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. Here's the deal. Found people, find people. Saved people, served, serve people. Found people find people, and saved people serve people. Leslie Newbegin, the great missiologist of the 20th century, said, The one who has been loved by the Lord will want to be where he is, on that frontier between the kingdom of God and the usurped power of the evil one. There is simply no other way to be with him. At the heart of mission is simply the desire to be with him. You know where Jesus is? 
by his spirit, he is assaulting the gates of hell. And if you want to live in the presence of Jesus, you better move to the front line. You better pray for marching orders to move to the front line on mission. And there you will meet Jesus who's already there waiting for you. And that's what we see eight. Eighth, the eighth thing here is shepherd. the shepherd leads. He has brought all his own outside. He goes ahead of them. He blazed the trail. He is tempted in every way that we were and we are and have been and will be, yet without sin. And he never calls us to go somewhere he has not already been and where he is not already present. And if no matter what season you're in, this is a difficult season, isn't it? Jesus is there waiting for you. He's already in, in your tomorrow waiting for you there. He's already in the next hour waiting for you there. He's already in the next moment. He can transcend time and place. He is waiting for you in the places and the times he has called you to be. Eight characteristics of the shepherd. Now let's ask eight questions to discern the stranger's strategies. The sheep follow him, it says in John 10, 4, and then in verse 5. They never follow the stranger, a stranger. Instead, they run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. So here are eight questions, and we're going to go through them fairly quickly to discern, is this a true teacher or a false teacher? And if, if, if you have to say no or I'm not sure to any of these questions, you very likely may be encountering an imposter, not a pastor, a stranger, not a shepherd. And these can be worldly voices and these can be religious voices. These can be voices purportedly preaching a gospel. But is it a true gospel? Question one, does this teacher emphasize the holiness and the greatness of God? This may be the baseline question for all of these questions. Is God at the center of this person's teaching? Is God at the center of this person's teaching? Or is it something else? Is it some self-empowerment message? Is it some message of personal fulfillment? Is it some message of something in creation? Or is it about God? Question two, does this teacher emphasize clear biblical doctrine without denying core truth? Does he emphasize or she emphasize clear biblical doctrine? Keystone teaching of, the, of, of Christ, the Christian faith. The doctrine of the Trinity, which was summarized in the Nicene Creed. The doctrine of the deity of Christ, which was summarized in the Chalcedonian Creed. Salvation by grace. Now, there can be outright denial of these things, but sometimes we see error by emphasis majoring on the minors, treating things that are third tier issues or unclear in the scriptures as if they were make or break tests of true Christianity. Sometimes someone may emphasize healing physically over salvation. They may emphasize miracles over the Messiah. They may emphasize politics over theology. Recently, there was a teacher who's been uh, in a part of a movement of, of sort of prosperity and healing ministries who preached a message repenting for not preaching the truth of the true gospel. Question three, does this teacher talk about sin? 
and how horrible it is? Does this teacher make people sound like sinners in need of salvation or good people in need of motivation? Does this person, does this teacher make sinners sound like people in need of salvation or good people in need of motivation? Question four, does this teacher talk about Jesus and his death on the cross as the only hope? Is it about personal works? Is it about some vision of the good life? Is it about earning God's favor? Is it about obedience or is it about the cross? Number five, does this teacher talk about the need to live a life of repentance and faith? To turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ and all that he has done for you in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Does this teacher talk about the need to repent and believe in the gospel, to enter into salvation, and to live the Christian life? Question six, does this teacher ever make you marvel at the free grace of God, or is it all about what you do? Is it about the the work of Christ which has been finished, or is it about the work of your own sanctification? Number seven, does this teacher call you to live a holy and godly life? Does this teacher call you to live a holy and godly life? Or do they just say, do whatever you want, grace is free? Or does the grace they preach lead you to repentance and holiness? Finally, does this teacher apply spiritual truth to earthly situations? Does this teacher apply spiritual truth to earthly situations? Sometimes we say, you hear people say, just preach the gospel, and they don't apply the truth of the Bible and the gospel to the world that we actually live in. Listen to the voice of Jesus. His sheep will hear his voice and they will follow him. Some of you may have heard the story of Rosaria Butterfield. She was a professor of English, gender studies, and queer studies at Syracuse University, living an active LGBT lifestyle. And she ended up befriending this Christian pastor who had her over for dinner. And and basically, he and his wife just became her friends. At the same time, she also was doing a research project on the religious right. And so for that, she began reading the Bible. And she says this, At the beginning of, this, of any project, like this project, I read and reread the book I'm trying to understand. At this point, I read and I reread the Bible. I read it voraciously and compulsively, as I do all books. I spent about five hours each day reading the Bible. I read every translation I could acquire. Well, you know what happened? Between conversations and friendship with this Christian pastor and hearing the voice of Jesus in the scripture, she was radically converted. She heard the shepherd calling her to himself because his sheep hear his voice. Can you hear him? God designed us for life, an abundant life with him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. 
We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists.